you could carve your peace of mind out of an enemy's skull. Dr. Andrews didn't much care for these concerns. Her concern was for the injured and the sickly, the beaten and the broken. She'd managed to work out an arrangement between herself and a doctor from the Grey's Keep, a Central Asian man whose name she did not know. They would both attend to those injured and maimed during these spats. They could assist each other if and when necessary, but otherwise, neither doctor would treat or tend to soldiers from the other side. Dr. Andrews heard a wet, gurgling sound and looked over to find a young man, barely out of his teens, clutching loose flaps of shredded skin at his throat, thick blood pressing hard at the fingers he had clamped to the wound. I'm sorry, Dr. Andrews said, not turning from her work trying to salvage Ken Lee's leg before an amputation became necessary. But you're not one of mine, and you'll have to wait. She finished binding the wound and looked up. She scanned the area, but saw no sign of the other doctor. Maybe she could pitch it a little bit, for the truly serious cases. All right, let me see, she began to say. But the boy was gone. Where he had been, there were now only freckles of drying blood and a feather, gray as death's shroud on one side, black as unbroken night on the other. What? Dr. Andrews had time to think before the first droplets began to hit her. Is it raining today? She wondered, craning her head back to regard the gray slate sky and its utter paucity of rain clouds. She touched her cheek. Her hand came back red. Oh, shit, she began to say. And then the sky opened up to unleash blood and meat. She was not meant for this. Not that Dr. Andrews necessarily believed that anybody was meant for anything. At her last medical practice, before the fall, before the black sun, there had been among the doctors and nursing staff, those who held on to religious and spiritual convictions, who believed that suffering was a means towards grace and that death was not the end. Dr. Andrews envied them these convictions. For herself, the first time she looked into a gaping wound across a patient's midsection, layers of guts and viscera pulsing and swarming and leaking, she did not see God manifested in a physical design. She saw guts and she saw viscera. She saw machine parts to be repaired, 
and she saw problems to be solved. She wanted to solve them all. So do all young doctors, she was told by those in position to know. Everyone who first wears scrubs and stethoscope believes that they've been given license to perform miracles. They told her she had to understand her limitations and find a balance between work and life, or else she would burn out. Dr. Andrews didn't think that could possibly happen to her. Even when she started skimming meds from the pharmacy to help her stay awake longer. Even when she started skimming more, different meds because she couldn't get to sleep anymore. Even when she looked up and realized that her husband was gone, that her friends no longer called, that she had nothing in her fridge to eat and nothing wet her appetite except perhaps just possibly another brace of pills. She still didn't perceive it as burnout. Not until the night she fell asleep behind the wheel and skidded off the road. As she stood, shaking, terrified breath lit up by the headlight glow behind her, she realized for the first time how far over the line she had gone. It was time to clean up. Time to take stock of her life and make the necessary changes. This had been a blessing, a second chance bestowed by the universe for whoever made judgments like that. She would not waste it. Only, she did. She made the effort to give her points for that. But after a week of trying to color inside the lines, a dozen different monkeys were scratching at different places on her back, and soon her superiors were asking her questions, giving her looks, and Dr. Andrews felt like her entire face was a porcelain mask only as thick as paper, and was straining every second to stem the writhing mass of manic terror leaking from her brain. So she went back on the pills, and since being on pills was now her default setting, and since she drew in away anyone who might know better, everyone around her assumed she had worked through whatever brief issue had left her so discombobulated and gotten back to normal. This remained her normal until the black sun rose. Now cut off from her supplies, Dr. Andrews had no choice but to enter withdrawal, drawing her choices down to the stark one or the other option of getting clean or dying unnoticed in some gutter. She was lost enough in the throes of addiction that she missed her chance to offer her services to the man McGray and thus obtain a position within his keep. But when the Misters Oakes and Mayhew got the ball rolling on reopening the St. Peter's Hospital, Dr. Andrews had become well enough that she confidently offered her services, and she served there confidently, finally feeling free of her old demons. There were so many new demons to contend with. Even after the kaiju rampaged, and all that remained of St. Peter's was a scenic patch of rubble, Living as her best self had become a matter of habit for Dr. Andrews, and she continued to do her utmost for the patients left over from the hospital, for the new patients left in the wake of the kaiju, and for all those who came under her care now that civil war consumed the city. There was no reason that anyone need know how close to the brink she had come. There was no reason for anyone to see her as anything but the perfect doctor, doing the best possible job in such impossible circumstances. But every so often, 
the city offered up a new torment that seemed designed to remind her that she should not be here, that she could not handle all the trauma and terror contained within this nightmare world, that she was not meant for this. Doused head to toe in gore, dark purple meat thick on her hair and running down her shirt, scurrying away from the onslaught, she thought it again. I can't do this. I am not meant for this. From undercover, Dr. Andrews saw the carrion beasts return. They called to one another like crows, but they were the size of large dogs, with squat, four-legged bodies coated in black feathers. Their heads resembled those of humans, though beneath their large yellow eyes were black peaks that hooked in cruel curves. Their latest victim was one that Dr. Andrews had mentally designated as belonging to the man McRae's keep. As she watched, blinking away the blood that ran into her eyes like sweat, the enemy combatant raised feeble hands against the carrion as they shuffled closer. A clawed paw swatted away the woman's hands, and the beaks bent to eager work. Those hands kept flailing, clutching uselessly at head feathers as the carrion began to rip and tear. Dainty samplings giving way as they dug deeper, burying their heads fully into the woman's midsection. She screamed. The scream stopped. The ripping continued. Dr. Andrews remained where she was, head down. She didn't believe her prayers went anywhere, but she offered them up anyway. Please, oh, Please, please. The carrion fought over the carcass, momentarily ignorant of the other dead and wounded that littered the street. Some of these were attempting to drag themselves away, while others saw the danger and lay as still as they could. Others remained still because they could not move, not even to save their own lives. The carrion groped the corpse at various points with various claws and began to flap towards the sky. Skin stretched and tore. Loose entrails leaked amidst a drizzle of leftover blood onto the red, red asphalt. As the creatures crested the roof of the nearest building, the pregnant paws that had sat over the battlegrounds broke. Everyone was yelling, calling, screaming. Whatever sides had been were no longer, as every man and woman still vulnerable grabbed the hold of whoever was nearest so they might have a better chance of hauling one another away from the danger. I'm not meant for this, went the refrain in Dr. Andrew's head as she broke from cover. I don't know what I'm doing. 
no one was meant for anything, she thought. But some people at least seem marked to be a party to momentous happenings. The man McRae in his inner circle, for example. The woman Cassandra, around whom this entire civil war centered. But she, Dr. Andrews, was not and could never merit such importance. She was a barely recovered junkie, playing at being better than that. And no matter how credulous her patients were, no matter how well the mask fit, for her, there was no escape from the knowledge that it was a mask that one day, by force, by chance, or by her own hand, would be pulled away. No, she thought, as she escorted the survivors towards safety, uncaring whatever side they had held in the battle. No, she was not meant for this. Yet still, she did it. Things were even going pretty well, so far as forced evacuations from the site of bloody battles were concerned, right up until the carrion came back. Oh my god, look! Someone screamed. Every remaining pair of eyes followed the extended hand. Black specks circled. Black specks descended. Everyone began to rush, all camaraderie forgotten as each fell into the primordial panic of fuck everyone else. I need to survive. Dr. Andrews had been guiding a young man she did not recognize towards the shelter of an empty building. When she heard the cries, she did not slow or turn back. Instead, she wrapped both arms around the young man and half led, half carried him onward, all while he limped and panicked and wept from the pain, from exhaustion, from the terror which had grown painful and exhausting as he continued unabated. He was bleeding in so many places. It was really no wonder he became a target. This time, the different carrion went for different individuals. One man was carried bodily from the pavement, his hand still clawing at the red, red asphalt as the carrion sank its talons deep within his chest and carried him off. Another woman had managed to get a good running start, but the carrion coming for her came at a gallop. It leapt past her and the woman suddenly stopped, as if confused as to which direction she should head. Her own head was gone, popped off like a grape from the stem. A miserable trickle of blood seeped from the empty space on her neck, while the carrion crooned sweet nothings to the head as it delicately began to peel the flesh away from the skull. And then came the third, right at Dr. Andrews and her charge. The smart move would have been to shove the kid away, 
or even into the direct path of the oncoming creature. It never occurred to the doctor to do so. Instead, she paused, braced, and the carrying was almost on top of them, swung the kid around and let the momentum and his body weight carry them over and on top of the carrion's back. So it was in this confused tangle of feathers and skin and fear that they crashed through the windows of the building. The carrion, it became quickly clear, did not much care for being indoors. It flailed about with wings and claws, black blood coursing from new wounds like water from a sprinkler. Dr. Andrews shoved the young man's head down, narrowly avoiding being smacked across the room by the wing. She did not think as she picked up the piece of glass and began to move across the room. She did not think as she dodged the lashing talons, ducking underneath the attempted blow. Her muscles moved automatically as she came up, holding aloft the glass shard like a crucifix blazing with holy light in the face of the serpent. She drew a black necklace across its throat, a necklace that held for a moment for a single held breath, and then began to seep. The carrion reacted violently to its own death. It did not much care for it. By the time it stopped twisting and shrieking, it had nearly torn its own head off. Dr. Andrews held the piece of glass out, her patient, whoever he was, safely behind her, up until the thing finally collapsed and lay still. Sometime later, she had just finished wrapping up the young man's wounds, using his ruined clothing as bindings, when machine gun fire rose like thunder announcing an imminent storm. Dr. Andrews peered around the shattered window. A battalion of men in battle armor, some of it looking standard issue, much of it appearing to be hockey pads that someone with perhaps a little too much vested interest in their own appearance had spray-painted black. We're marching up the street and firing short bursts in the direction of the remaining carrion. They managed to shred one into a mist of feathers and black blood. The other one took a few shots at the body, but did not go down. Instead, it angrily squawked and launched into the air, some unfortunate soul's liver clamped tight in its beak. Hands up, Dr. Andrews stepped clear of the building. The machine gun swung towards her with uncomfortable ease. Behind the row of soldiers, a familiar face studied the blood-soaked scene with an expression of professional distaste. Doctor, he said. Doctor, she replied. He looked her up and down, and only then did Dr. Andrew remember that she was covered head to toe in varying shades of blood. Long day, she said. He nodded. That was a job. Dr. Andrews nodded back towards the battlefield. I had to bend the rules a bit, slap some gauze and wrappings on some of yours. I hope you understand. The smallest of smiles crossed his lips. I suppose we have work to do, was all he said. And then he went to it. Dr. Andrews followed. Ken Lee's leg might survive, but he'd already bled through the first round of bandages, 
his terrified heart pumping rapidly after first the fight, then the carrion, and now the enemy. It's okay, she told him. He whimpered as she touched the wound, but her voice seemed to soothe him. You're going to be okay. Thank you, doctor, he whispered, straining to keep from passing out. Dr. Andrews thought, I'm not meant for this. Someone else could do this so much better. But no one else was available, and so she went on with her work. Listening to another episode of Lexon Dispatches, part of the Punk's podcast network. Did I say podcast? Podcast network. My name is Brent Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Lexon Dispatches is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, so please hit them up if you need any apparel created. Uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations is a really, really cool outfit. Make really, really cool clothing. Uh, I myself have a number of T-shirts from them. Uh, so if you need any cool clothing needs, that's where to go. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. If you want to sponsor Cinepunks programming, including the show, please set up our Patreon. Uh, you can find it on our website, cinepunks.com. Uh, we all really, really appreciate it. Also, cinepunks.com is a ton of great writing and other really cool podcasts uh, about everything ranging from film to comics to music to you know, any kind of specialty you can imagine. Uh, it's a really, really cool website run by really, really cool people, uh, and you are missing out if you are hitting up cinepunks.com for all your podcasting and cool writing needs. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. That's black at Black Sun Show. And you can follow me on Twitter at the True Brennan F. Uh, at Black Sun Show is where you go for any and all updates and information about the show. At the True Brennan F is where you go to listen to me or follow me as I rant about, I don't know, Game of Thrones, ending, movies, life in general, I guess. Um, okay, cool. I hope you guys all really enjoy this episode and I hope you join in uh, for the next one. Uh, please rate and view the show. As, you know, It always really helps to get the word out. Uh, and please tell your friends about the show uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Semaphore, whatever, whatever methods of communication you have. Oh boy, I'm already stumbling here. Uh, so yeah, like I said, again, I hope you guys like the show. I hope you come back for the new ones as they come up next month. Uh, and yeah, that's all I got. Thanks. Bye.